Uh, before we go any further in our service, I wanted to give uh, a little context for, uh, for the service. Today we'll be shifting back to our uh, series in Philippians. You'll be hearing from, from me a passage in Philippians. Uh, actually, a, a sermon that I had uh, previously recorded before a lot of the most recent events happened, particularly uh, with what's going on in our city and in our nation. Um, but I wanted to. What I wanted to say was that I want you just to know that even though we are shifting to Philippians uh, again, uh, that does not mean that there isn't much more to say and much more to do in regards to the work of justice. Uh, we as a church, it's been a central core value of who we are uh, to work for justice, to be a part of working for justice. Uh, and we've been a part of that this week. Uh, it's been a very busy week to that end. We've been uh, part of numerous protests, uh, numerous prayer walks. Uh, this week will be another busy week of the same. Uh, for me personally, it's been a, a very busy week of putting together this anti-racism class. I've shifted uh, literally all of my time to ensuring that that class uh, is very helpful for those that are new to the work of racism. I know uh, are new to the work of anti-racism. I know that for for some who are new to this work, it can be very overwhelming. Uh, and and so for those that are new to the work, I wanted to ensure that you knew how to engage well. Uh, and so that's what the, that class is going to be. I know you just heard a promo for this, but please be a part of it. Highly, highly encourage you to to be there. But I wanted you to know that th that there is more to say, there is more to do, and we're going to do and say it. Um, but today we're going to shift gears to Philippians so that we have the time uh, and the resources and the bandwidth to do what we need to do uh, with regards to the, this class and these other ways that we can be engaging. Uh, and so for those uh, who are tired, those who are hurting, those that are still frustrated, please know that we love you and we see you. Uh, we are praying for you and we are standing in solidarity, working with you uh, for a just and equitable society. Uh, so with that said, I'd like to now welcome uh, Luis Rosa to come and read today's scripture. He'll be reading in Espanol. Uh, and then after that, I'll be back for today's teaching. Filipenses capítulo 3, versos 1 al 14. Por lo demás, hermanos míos, regocijaos en el Señor. A mí no me es molesto escribiros otra vez lo mismo, y para vosotros es motivo de seguridad. Cuidaos de los perros, cuidaos de los malos obreros, cuidaos de la falsa circuncisión, porque nosotros somos la verdadera circuncisión que adoramos en el Espíritu de Dios, nos gloriamos en Cristo Jesús, no poniendo la confianza en la carne. Aunque yo mismo podría confiar también en la carne, si algún otro cree tener motivo para confiar en la carne, yo mucho más, circuncidado el octavo día, del linaje de Israel, de la tribu de Benjamín, hebreo de hebreros, en cuanto a la ley, fariseo, en cuanto al celo, perseguidor de la iglesia, en cuanto a la justicia de la ley, hallado irrepensible. Pero todo lo que para mí era ganancia, lo he estimado como pérdida por amor de Cristo. Y aún más, yo estimo como pérdida todas las cosas en vista del incomparable valor de conocer a Cristo Jesús, mi Señor, por quien lo he perdido todo y lo he considerado como basura a fin de ganar a Cristo. Y ser hallado en él, no teniendo mi propia justicia derivada de la ley, sino la que es por fe en Cristo, la justicia que procede de Dios sobre la base de la fe, y conocerle a él el poder de su resurrección, la participación en sus padecimientos, llegando a ser como Él en su muerte, 
a fin de llegar a la resurrección de entre los muertos, no que ya lo haya alcanzado o que haya llegado a ser perfecto, sino que sigo adelante a fin de poder alcanzar aquello que para lo cual también fui alcanzado por Cristo Jesús. Hermanos, yo mismo no considero haberlo ya alcanzado, pero una cosa hago, olvidando lo que queda atrás, extendiéndome a lo que está delante. Prosigo hacia la meta para obtener el premio del supremo llamamiento de Dios en Cristo Jesús, la palabra de Dios. Thanks be to God. So throughout this passage, Paul challenges nearly every false assumption about what it means to be a Christian. Uh, and maybe though some of those assumptions we come with today. Uh, when rightly understood, no one walks away from this passage unchallenged. And though it seems to be packed with paradox, when all taken together, it really does give us a depth of understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And so if you're a Christian, I hope you see your faith in new ways as a result of what Paul describes. If you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of Christianity, I hope and pray, is laid plain before you today. Now, of course, today we'll be continuing our series, Marked by Joy, which has been a, a journey uh, as we continue to walk through the book of Philippians. And essentially what I want to answer is one central question today. What does it mean to be a Christian? To answer that question, what we must see is that uh, Christianity, and to be a Christian, requires everything, it requires nothing, and it requires paradox. Those are the three things I want to look at. So first, to be a Christian requires everything. Uh, for, for many, uh, the term Christian in large part, it tends to be used as an adjective. It describes a person or a belief or a worldview, and I think that's absolutely fair. Now, a person can be a Christian. A belief or a worldview can be Christian. However, what happens uh, when we assume that, the, that Christian is this adjective or describer is that we tend to assume then that the title Christian is just one of many titles that we might give ourselves. For some, they might say that they are a Christian uh, because they aren't anything else. You know, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not, a, I'm not Jewish, I'm not Hindu, I'm not an atheist, I used to go to church with my grandma, so yeah, I guess that means I'm a Christian because I'm nothing else. Or maybe for others, there's a bit more conviction, <clears throat> and maybe you might say, you know, I am a Christian, uh, but I largely um, shape my life and my thinking around what best, best suits me and my needs and my desires and my beliefs. And, you know, in general, I believe things about uh, the Christian faith. I try to be a good person, but I'm really not one of those fanatic kind of Christians. But here's the problem with that general lackadaisical approach to the Christian faith. Paul, in this passage, pushes us to consider that to be a Christian is not an add-on to our lives, but rather, rightly understood, faith in Jesus really does require everything of us. Uh, look at verse 8. He says this. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. In other words, to be a Christian is to say, I give up everything in my life for the sake of knowing Jesus. Nothing in my life is left untouched, unchanged, or unchallenged. You know, when I think about that kind of commitments, I think about the types of commitments that we tend to uh, make in life that require this upending of our lives. Uh, and one of those require, or one of those um, commitments that I think about uh, is the commitment to have children. You know, when you have kids, the things that you never thought you'd give up, you end up giving up. I mean, things like sleep and freedom and cleanliness and order and structure in life. And for those of you with small kids right now, I know you know what I am talking about. Or they are also the kind of commitment that requires us to rethink how we use our money, right? Your willingness to spend that extra money on that extra bedroom is probably not something you ever really thought about having to do. Uh, I often joke that one of the best birth control methods uh, is New York City rent prices. <laughs> uh, to be a Christian is like that kind of over um, uh, upending of our lives. It's this complete life transformation where everything changes because now everything is required of you to give to that commitment. Everything about my life is given up in order that I might know Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. You know, the Christian life requires everything. It requires your job, your sexuality, your politics, your family, your thoughts, your actions. Everything is oriented around Christ. That is what it means to be a Christian. And of course, the question I ask you is, does that sound extreme? Kind of does. And to push it a little bit further, Paul goes on to say, he says this, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now he's referencing some things that he had just talked about previously, but here's what I just want to point out right now, is that to be a Christian is to not just have everything oriented around faith in Jesus, but it is also to love and treasure Jesus so supremely that everything else I might treasure looks like garbage in comparison. And then he goes on in verse 10 and he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in death. What in the world does that mean? Well, the one thing it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that we experience what Christ experienced on the cross and in his sacrifice. And we know that to be true because there are many passages like Hebrews 10 that tells us that Christ was sacrificed once for all. It is finished. It is done. Christ accomplishes a work in his death and uh, in, in, in sacrifice. But what it does mean is this. It does mean what Colossians 3 tells us. It says Colossians 3 tells us that we have, uh, for those who are in Christ, you have died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ. In other words, to be a Christian is to be so closely tied to the life of Jesus that all that he experiences is ours. And this is one of the reasons why in Ephesians 5, the relationship between the church or Christians and Jesus is described as a marriage. 
because it's a relationship where lives are so intricately interwoven and bound up together that what affects one affects the other. So Paul is saying in an even greater way than marriage that we understand it, the Christian life is so bound up with Christ that everything he experienced, including the power of his resurrection, the Christian will also experience. And then in the final verses of, the, of our passage in verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a lot that could be said about what Paul means there, but one obvious point needs to be made. He is making the point that the Christian life is a lot of work. It is striving, and that it's a striving that um, is for this heavenly-oriented prize. Now, I wonder, given all that I just said, do you think about Christianity in those terms? And do you see why Christianity cannot be some add-on to life? Do you see why there cannot be some passive engagement that does not really impact our lives? To be a Christian is all-consuming. Nothing is left untouched by Christ in the Christian life. The Christian life requires everything. Why, then, would anyone choose that kind of existence? Why desire to be a Christian if it requires that much? Well, to answer that question, we have to look at what else Paul says in this passage. Because see, on the one hand, yes, to be a Christian requires everything. But on the other hand, Paul also shows us that the Christian, to be a Christian requires nothing. Let me show you what I mean. Um, if I were to ask you again, what does it mean to be a Christian? I, I do wonder, what might your response be? You know, more often than not, I would venture to guess that many would likely rattle off a list of various actions. Right? What I mean by that is, so to be a Christian is reading the Bible, praying, being generous, being kind, being just. Uh, and let me just say, those are all good and right things to do. Uh, I hope actions like that are part of what it means to be a Christian for sure. Uh, but when asked what it means to be a Christian or to live a Christian life, there can be a tendency to assume that it's fundamentally actions-based. But look at how Paul upends the assumption that we can achieve the Christian life through actions. Specifically, look at verses 4 through 6. I mean, these verses are striking statements from Paul. He says this. He says, If anyone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, let me pause as the sirens go by, uh, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. What is he doing there? Well, Paul is giving us his resume and what an impressive resume it is. He's saying, listen, if you think you have any reason to have confidence in your achievements, just know I have far more reason than you. See, Paul was a Pharisee who I know in the New Testament, they, they really do get a bad rap. But these guys were the premier religious group. 
there was none that had any fervor for obeying the law of God than the Pharisees. No one was as righteous as they were. And Paul is saying, listen, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the best of the best. I was the SEAL Team 6 of righteousness here. And when it came to righteousness based on the law, verse 6, he says, listen, I was faultless. No one could touch him. He was obviously this Hebrew of Hebrews. But on top of that, he was also a Roman citizen. He came from the right kind of family. He was extraordinarily educated in both Greek philosophy and the Hebrew scriptures. He was a master of oration and of rhetoric. Paul came from the right family. He essentially went to the Ivy League University. He found success. And on top of that, he perfectly obeyed the law of God. And do you know what he says about all of it? This is what he calls garbage. This is what he is willing to give up in order to know Christ. For him, all of it is worthless and meaningless and contributes nothing to what it means to be a Christian. Absolutely nothing. And look again at verses 8 and 9. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I mean, none of his perfections, none of his righteousness means anything because none of them accomplishes anything in comparison to the righteousness given by Christ. In other words, to be a Christian means coming before God completely empty-handed. To be a Christian requires nothing of you. And here is why that's good news. I know that many of you are always striving for that sense of validation and that sense of acceptance. Always. We strive for a sense of validation and acceptance in all areas of our life. We do it in our families. We do it with our coworkers, with our friends, with our social and political clubs, with our fellow church congregants. We do it all the time. It is rare to ever feel completely uh, known and vulnerable and seen because we're always trying to be validated by others. You know, I want people to know my accomplishments, or we want people to know the schools that we went to, or our job, or our career successes. We want people to know how tough we are, or how sensitive we are, or how loving or gracious we are. We want people to know how good our kids are. We want people to be impressed by us. We want to be validated. And to be fair, there is a reason why. You know, when you get a bunch of people seeking validation, the result is that we will accept people who prove themselves to us. You know, lest we assume that we don't treat people that way, an honest assessment tells us the contrary. Because the natural tendency is to be impressed by the things that other people have done or have. And then we welcome them in because they have impressed us. It is the natural tendency of our heart. And I know that being the one who has to constantly impress, it can be exhausting, it can be debilitating, it can even be depressing. 
And because we are so steeped in that way of thinking, we often assume God works the same way. To be validated and accepted by God means I better be impressive. But hear me, friends. The good news of the gospel is that God is literally the only one with whom you offer nothing, and as a result, He gives you everything. The best and most accepting relationships you can possibly fathom right now cannot compare. They just can't. The most loving marriage, the deepest friendships, the most authentic and genuine community, and all other kinds of relationships, they all have their limits. They all are going to require something of you if you are going to be welcomed in. But God in Christ is the only relationships where you can genuinely come with nothing but your great flaws and your faults and your brokenness and as a result be welcomed and loved and accepted. That is what it means to be a Christian. It requires nothing of us because there is nothing needed for acceptance except what Jesus has accomplished for us. Praise be to God. The question though is how does that all work together? How is it that we can be Christian, be a Christian, and it requires everything about our life and yet at the same time also require nothing of you? Well, briefly, we have to see that to be a Christian also requires paradox. Uh, you know, that tension between uh, to be a Christian is everything and also nothing at the same time is really relieved by verse 12. Let's look at that. It says, not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Oh my goodness, I do not have time to fully uh, and completely unpack that idea. But here, here's the bottom line. Here's the point. Uh, you cannot choose to be a Christian. You just can't. To be a Christian is not our decision to cling to Jesus. But hear me, to be a Christian is for Jesus to cling to and to hold us. You know, John 6 tells us that no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them. Uh, John 15 says that Jesus says that you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Ephesians 1 tells us that God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. 1 John 4 says that we love because he loved us first. So how is it to be a Christian requires everything and yet nothing all at the same time? Because to be a Christian means that we have been taken hold of by Christ for no other reason than he loved us first. And as a result, because he is holding on to us, we are able to hold on to him. He doesn't love us because we chose to love him. We can love him because he chose to love us. We do not strive for acceptance, but rather we strive in the Christian life from acceptance. 
We do not live a Christian life in order to be a Christian. We live a Christian life because we have been made a Christian. We lay down and give up everything for Christ because Christ gave up everything for us. We give our lives fully and completely to Jesus because Jesus gave his life fully and completely for us. That is why the paradox of Christianity is that it requires everything and nothing. You know, it's really actually not that much of a paradox. We offer nothing and yet are given everything. And in response, we ought to offer up everything withholding nothing. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so my friends, I pray that we would be captivated by this, captivated by the fact that yes, God is calling us to give up everything. Nothing about our life is untouched by the work of Jesus. But we only do that because we have been made a Christian offering nothing. And so as a result, we give our lives fully and completely. I pray that for myself, I pray that for you. May this be the case. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great grace, for your great love, a love that loved us first. And we thank you that as a result of that great love, and as a result of the continuing work of your Spirit in our lives, we are able to give our lives now fully and completely to you. God, would you help us see that we aren't striving for validation or acceptance because we have already been accepted in Jesus, but may we strive and work toward honoring you in our lives solely out of gratitude and love and trust in you. I pray this would be the case for us. In Jesus' name, amen.